Welcome to The Scarlet Project. This is a show about the slimy underbelly of American colleges and universities, the predators that thrive there, and the administrations that tolerate them. I'm your host, Tom, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Ryan. Say hi, Ryan. (laughs) Welcome back. Today's episode will begin a three-part series on CCSU, Central Connecticut State University, which has been a hotbed of controversy due to the several instances of sexual misconduct and the university's inability to meaningfully address it. We're starting off this series with the case that started it all, the theater department scandal, which was broken by Ruth Bruno, who was at the time a reporter for the campus's student-run newspaper, The Recorder. So when the story broke, I was just entering the journalism department, and it was kind of an inspiration to me and kind of made me see the power of not only FOIing information, but um, just the power journalism can have because the story set the stage for some major changes happening at the university. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was the same. Um, it was my freshman year uh, in in at Central and in the journalism department. And I, you know, up to that point, I was kind of like starry-eyed, like, oh, journalism is this whatever cool thing. But I didn't really take into account just how powerful it was as a medium for me it was the first sort of experience where I was like oh you could do like really important stuff and I mean that sounds very stupid but I mean as a 14 year old or whatever eight seven 18 year old however old you are in college I was like (laughs) wow this is really cool um but yeah this I mean Ruth did more work than like you could ask of like any college journalist (laughs) let alone a journalist you know I mean um she she did an amazing job with the story and, and and I mean we're gonna flesh it out but yeah yeah um I was gonna say I was gonna add on to that this happened and you're like you know when we were naive and not beaten down by the actual reality of being a journalist right. we're like whoa we could change shit you know and right right so that was huge you know but uh also adding to what you said about Ruth like yeah, this was big shit for a huge college journalist, student journalist to be working on. And I mean, this got this got international coverage. I was going to say, I mean, I remember at this time there was NBC, you know, all these local news stations on campus literally just covering her story. And I mean, rightfully so. We'll get into it. This is a wild story. Yes, very wild. So with all that said, let's get into it. case involves two ex now ex theater department uh professors joshua pearlstein and tom delventhal they were professors there for many many years um and this story 
this story broke again, like we said in the intro, um, from a student journalist who kind of just blew this thing wide open. And yeah, Ryan's going to tell you about it. So go ahead, Ryan. Yes. Well, just getting into it, this story's uh, from 2018. Um, but the events taking place in the story go back to, I mean, at the latest, the 90s. Um, but for this first encounter I'll be talking about with Pearlstein and one of his victims, uh, we'll be going back to 2004. The 21-year-old Anna Brewer accepted her th- theater professor's invitation to meet up for lunch one day at the end of her junior year. She assumed she would be discussing career goals and opportunities with her mentor, that she sat at Stanley Quarter Park with then 46-year-old professor Joshua Pearlstein, the casual conversation suddenly turned decidedly disturbing. He had been talking about moving to Connecticut, and then he told me that moving to Connecticut to meet me was his destiny. The student, who changed her name to surname to Kelly after her marriage, recalled the 2004 encounter. At that moment, all the blood left my face. I immediately understood the relationship had changed. I had no idea what to do. And if that creepy enough comment was not enough, uh, Kelly goes on to say that Pearlstein started kissing her slowly on the cheek. Uh, She said she was shocked by the kiss, but cautious about turning down his advances. She was trying to be nice about it because I was aware I was in a park alone with a man who had become dangerous to me. Kelly, who is now, well, let's see, 2018, now just about 40, said in an interview with the recorder. Uh, the two of them walked back to campus after this, and uh, Pearlstein decided to take her by the hand at this point. Um, Kelly said in her own words, she let her hand go limp at this point. When they returned to campus, Kelly and Pearlstein parted ways in front of the steps to one of the dormitory halls. Uh, Before I left, Kelly said he reached around, gave me this huge hug, and reached around to grab my butt. Now, if this story already isn't crazy enough to you, let me just tell you that the university knew about this in 2004. (laughs) We're going to keep going back to that throughout this story, is that this was 14 years before anything happened, at least that we know of. Uh, she right. filed. Sorry, yeah, sorry, Tom. No, go ahead. I was, I was just gonna say, uh, I just wanted to jump in. Um, co- going back to that comment she made, where she said she was trying to be nice about it because she was aware that she was alone in the park with a man who that who had become dangerous to her. And that's just a position so many women find themselves in where they need to kind of, you know, in just accept the advances like the best they can. So because, you know, like she said, she was alone in the park. Who knows? He could have became violent if that's he had the rejected least her. dangerous option for them is doing right. that, which is right. terrible. I just wanted to kind of, I know this is going to come off as common sense to a lot of the listeners, but, you know, for a lot of the people who are morons, who want to always question women, oh, oh, why'd you do this? Why did you, why didn't you run away? Why didn't you fight them? It's like, because it's a dangerous person, you can get yourself killed. And another thing, too, you hear, I hate to say defense, I guess, but I, I, an, an attack against a lot of these victims is, oh, why didn't you report it? You know, why didn't you do this and that? Why didn't you tell anyone? And I think this story 
will give a good demonstration as to why it doesn't fucking matter if you report it actually most of the time right um and again i'll i'll just i'll just pull straight from ruth bruno's story here mm-hmm. um university officials have known kelly's story since she filed a formal complaint more than a dozen years ago which would be 2006 at the time of this story despite finding that pearlstein violated se- central's sexual harassment policy and reports involving allegations of misconduct with other female students Pearlstein remains a professor at Central at the time of this writing in 2018. Spoiler alert, he is not anymore. Having received tenor in 1998 and a promotion to assistant professor in 2000. So this guy has numerous reports against him. I mean, as we're, as we're going to go into as we go into this podcast, more than just this initial Kelly report. And not only is he still at Central at the time when this was written, 12 years after those reports he had yeah. tenor and he was associate professor which is like your god basically in in terms of academia you know you're right. untouchable right exactly and he was pulling in like over a hundred thousand dollars a year yeah i checked the uh open payroll website so which interesting enough uh not to jump ahead a little bit but um a lot of times when these sort of stories happen uh professors or whoever it is that we talk about gets put on paid leave so um right yeah Collect- Pearlstein collecting- is a great example of this is just collecting that paycheck for doing no work for months uh, yeah. yeah yeah we are jumping ahead though <laughs> yeah for sure for sure going back into what we were first discussing uh so the recorder the student newspaper and particularly ruth bruno um a student journalist went into this deep investigation, deep dive into Pearlstein and the theater department in particular about just their history of toxicity and creepiness and abuse and sexual assault, really. And, um, you know, this original story was 2018 in February, but um, it already had eight former students and faculty coming forward to disclose, you know, unwelcome advances by Pearlstein. And um, we haven't even gotten into Delventhal, which we will uh shortly but i mean that this story about pearlstein inspired a lot of more people to come forward about pearlstein and delventhal so i mean this alone is really the first everyone's hearing about it so um we we have that initial report about pearlstein obviously dating back to 2004 um but after that i mean that's far from the only complaint we have about pearlstein um we'll take it into another one now uh Colleen Nadeau, who enrolled at CCSU in 1996, uh, declined an opportunity to stage manage one of Pearlstein's shows and avoided being alone on campus after she was harassed by Pearlstein her junior year at Central, according to her. Uh, In her own words, Nadeau stood in an empty hallway outside the Black Box Theater. Pearlstein walked up behind her. I didn't even hear him approach me, and he tried to kiss me. After pulling away and questioning his actions, Nadu said Pearlstein told her, don't pull away when I try to kiss you. Pearlstein continued to try and kiss her. He boxed me in. It was completely predatory behavior, planned, targeted. I was very confused as to what had just happened. Nadu said she eventually managed to push her way past Pearlstein and left the hallway. So uh, shortly after that incident, her uh, academic advisor at the time, Professor Callery, Tom Callery, had noticed that she had been quiet, reserved, 
something was clearly up. And so he went up to her and just asked her, you know, what's going on, basically. And she spilled everything about this whole encounter with Pearlstein and everything, really. And he had told her, you should report it. But she ultimately decided not to make any formal complaint for fear. Uh, in the end, it's going to look worse on her than it would on him. It's um, it's his word against hers, basically, is, is what she did not want to get into. Now, um, what's interesting here is that Calorie eventually ended up becoming chair of the theater department. Um, and so Kelly went on to uh, detail this account again about Pearlstein's behavior to uh, Calorie who then immediately forwards it to the chief human resources officer. Um, and they reach out to her, to their credit, they do reach out to Nadu and uh, ask her to recount her story, which is obviously not an easy thing. So Kelly's obviously was the first we hear about um, with complaints against Pearlstein, but the story goes into numerous other complaints about Pearlstein from not just students, but I mean, we also see in particular a professor uh, filed numerous complaints to human resources about inappropriate comments he's made, not only to her, but to some of her students. And it kind of just seems like this story, it's, it's this reoccurring theme of like countless times people going to the, you know, proper authorities about someone that's making inappropriate comments, doing inappropriate things. And it's just leading up to this and no one's doing anything until for years we decades. see, in, you know, and really this thing in 2004 this is what it leads to when you don't do things about you know predatory behavior that's what it leads to so a little bit after this story was released it actually did lead to uh central connecticut state university opening an investigation uh into pearlstein and the theater department uh, with a private law firm shipman and goodwin so not long after this story came out um Again, in April of 2018, CCSU hired a private law firm, Shipman and Goodman, to look into these uh, accusations more. Um, and we get into, after this, another excellent case of student journalism here uh, by another Central Connecticut student, Sarah Wilson, who did a lot of work on the uh, other professor we'll be talking about in a few minutes. But uh, just to get started, I do want to get into her story that touched on Pearlstein as well. Um, it, it, it just discusses that Shipman and Goodman had found dozens of new complaints to light as a result of uh, investigations uh, that found more than a decade of complaints of sexual misconduct against Pearlstein, which were dismissed or investigated in a cursory manner by administrators. And that's in their own words. Um, investigators reviewed thousands of documents, uh, text messages, emails, yada, yada. Um, and found that Pearlstein was untruthful about having a sexual relationship with a student for, quote, an extended period of time. The report also said he had a history of questionable interactions with female students, quote, and was involved in sexual misconduct with one or more students. And so this is just getting into the Pearlstein stuff. And the craziest thing is that he's not the only creepy sexual assault, you know, whatever you want to call him. He, this Cedar department is running rampant and it wasn't discovered at all until this private law firm went and investigated them. And so that's where we get into theater professor 
number two, none other than CCSU's formerly owned Thomas Delventhal. Now, um, so as as we said, his whole firing and whole case being brought up is only responsible because of this original Pearlstein story coming into play um, and, and these private investigators looking into it. Um, but it wasn't until January 17th of the next year that he actually ended up getting suspended. Yeah, um, this investigation took, what did it take, over nine months? Nine months. Yeah, a nine-month-long investigation, and it was thorough, and you could tell because it not only um, you know, investigated the claims against Joshua Pearlstein, but it also implicated another theater professor, Thomas Delventhal, as Ryan mentioned. And so this report comes out, and it was like, I remember when this came out, it was like a bombshell, you know? Right. We we thought we already had, you know, the full story with Pearlstein being this sexual deviant, terrible human being. And then for it to come out that this private firm is like, oh, actually, Central's known about this other guy, too. They very much just neglected these claims. There's no other way and to I say think it. It's, it's an important part to mention also that during this time period between, I think it was 2014, maybe, uh, no, I'm, I may be wrong. 2016, I think it was, when Zoma Toro became CCSU president. You might correct me if I'm wrong there, Tom, but she did. She is a new, she is a newer president when these allegations first came to light. I mean, I will say these, a lot of these things that had taken place happened before she had become president. Not that this excuses yeah. anything, of course. Right. She inherited this mess, but she know, somehow fucked it some, up even worse. Some foreshadowing for future episodes. Um, Correct. She did not learn from this experience, but in fact, she's only done worse. Yeah. So we'll get into uh, now after we've dived deep enough into Pearlstein that we all need to probably wash ourselves off. Uh, we'll get into Delventhal's accusations here and his own admittance as well. Um, during the course of the uh, investigation by Shipman and Goodman, Delventhal himself admitted to, quote, kissing five students on the neck or forehead. Yeah, you know, if he admitted, uh, you know, if he admitted to five, it was like probably fucking 10 times that. Well, and if he admitted to kissing five students on the neck or forehead, is that really the most egregious and creepy thing he's doing? Probably not. I mean, Good point. I he's he like, I could cop to some lesser charges to avoid right. the, the exactly. truly disgusting things. Yeah. And well, it's funny you say that because the report concluded he was untruthful during his investigatory interview and denied attempting to engage in any relationship with current or former students. Shocking. So, yeah, pretty much he did actually probably lie about that. And uh, so, I mean, we'll get into his accusations here if you want. Um, yes, sir. And this is even before uh, <laughs> he had gotten officially, like, the reason was behind his suspension. Uh, Sarah Wilson, who we mentioned before, was a student journalist at Central as well. Um, she has a story from January 21st, 2019, um, where she spoke to two other Central Connecticut theater students um, that alleged sexual misconduct by Thomas Delventhal. Um, and this 
was uh, this story only came out four days after Thomas Delventhal sent a very weird and strange email to all the theater students, um, just basically saying he suspended until further notice and he was, quote, deeply saddened and frustrated by the restrictions placed upon him. It's one way of putting that. What a shameful little scumbag, bro. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just get into the accusations against him. Um, so we'll get into this first one. It's an exact quote. I have had many one-on-one classes with Delventhal and many interactions with him where he has been very physically touchy with me. A, at the time, theater junior said, he has given me many hugs, back massages. He's kissed my head and my forehead. He's told me that he has loved me. They also said that Delventhal had hugged or kissed without her consent at least 10 times. You can't see, but I'm holding up 10 fingers, 10 times in the fall of the 2017 semester. She also recalled the time during her stage combat class when she learned how to safely fight on stage. Quote, Delventhal, quote, came up next to her and hit her butt with a sword and laughed about it. And this kind of goes off of what we talked about last week, I think, where we have these things that are creepy or weird or just strange as one-offs but then we see them built up across you know in these students case four years of being a theater student and it just becomes more and more clear that it's not just a one-off but in that same hand because it keeps happening and there's this keep kind of uh you know, you're told to kind of accept it, I think, in some ways, and I could be off base here a little bit, but it almost becomes lesser to you, even though it, the actions themselves become more. And I think that's what we're going on, really, with the grooming part yeah, of this I, whole Pearlstein. That was is. what I was going to jump in and say. It's more of that grooming behavior. You know, you start off with, you know, a little touch or rub or whatever and see how that goes over and it's slowly just desensitizing people to your creepy actions and also seeing what you could get away with so you can push the envelope further very uh disgusting behavior predatory behavior and and going off of predatory behavior one thing we see with uh predators a lot is um protecting their own and so we'll get into an example of that here with Delventhal um, and also another creepy theater professor, CCSU employee, former employee, uh, running running theme here. Now, um, and this is in that same article you can find here. Um, former CCSU theater student Melissa Franz, who now studied who now studied at the American College Dublin, said she had a similar experience after she approached Delventhal to address what she called, quote, an uncomfortable experience she had with former costuming professor Christopher Hoyt, who is no longer at CCSU. He taught from 2015 to 2018. Um, now, after Franz had disclosed this information with Delventhal, apparently Delventhal had told another student about that, um, something that Franz said she was very upset that he had done. Um, after that, she had started crying, and Delventhal asked if he could hug me, quote. She said yes, and then he, quote, continued to kiss me on the neck and forehead, which just made me extremely uncomfortable. 
going back to that really weird quote and admission by Delventhal where he admitted to kissing five to ten students on the neck or head. I guess like you have to have a calling card and that's his creepy fucking Ugh. little disgusting calling card. Um, and Fran said after this that she left his office very quickly. And I mean, she kept it to herself until the recorder published the article in April of 2018. And uh, just to clarify a fact here, in the January 2019 story, it does go over that these two professors, Delmenthal and Pearlstein, are in the process. And I want to define that again. Process, not yet. Of getting dismissed. Right. When this basically means getting fired. Right. When this report was released, um, the university moved to dismiss them, which was a process that we will get into later. But it's not as simple as saying you're fired. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, when you have evidence of decades long uh, patterns of abuse to your female students, it's uh, you can't just fire them. Uh, You have to uh, go through a process, apparently. So going into uh, more of the Shipman and Goodwin findings, besides just the creepy behaviors and, um, frankly, sexual assaults that were committed by, um, do I have to say allegedly? I don't know. Reportedly committed by I've been wondering that the entire time, yeah. Reportedly perpetrated by Delventhal and Pearlstein. The report also found a toxic culture of the theater department and here's a quote from the article the report stated that it appears as though the informality of the the department has led to a climate in which personal space and boundaries are not respected those interviewed throughout the investigation said that it was not unusual for students and faculty to socialize at parties or other gathering where alcohol is consumed investigators outlined that Quote, for quite some time, there has existed tension and conflict between various staff and faculty members within the theater department. So this is basically just saying there were weird, creepy uh, professors that wanted to be, that wanted to push boundaries with with students, erode those boundaries completely and attend parties. Very strange I hate behavior. to speak generally here, but isn't this like the most like theater professor story? Like, well, you know, yeah, like just trying to go to parties and like trying to, you know, like that, that part. Yeah, I think that's what that's what um, that first quote, it appears as though the informality of the department. I feel like that was a shot against just theater departments in general. Like, totally. Um, I mean, we saw it also in I feel like it's in the arts, you know, that. Mm. You see this type of behavior. We saw it last week in our episode um, where he was the the art professor was bringing students to New York and uh, getting them alcohol, even though they weren't legally of age. Um, it appears There's this to be, weird informality with it. Right. Because, you know, oh, we're all artists and blah, 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 blah. You know, mm-hmm. I don't fucking know. But yeah, it, it is a theme. Oh, but the point I was making before was that so there's, you know, a certain sect of the the theater department uh, that was doing these weird things, not having proper boundaries, and another sect that was 
observant of that behavior and did not approve it, which led to tensions in the department. The report went on to say that, quote, such a, a divide appears to have a negative impact not only on the working relationship, but also in the learning environment, since most of the students interviewed commented on the tension that they perceived between various members of the department. According to the report, some high-level administrators were aware of concerns for more than a decade. More than a decade of knowing about this and doing nothing. And just go back to the details in this case. I mean, honestly, like, go back to the stories you hear from these girls, you know, these young women on college campuses and think about the things that they're going through and think about for the rest of their lives. I mean, we saw in the first story with Pearlstein and Kelly was what now 40 years old and still has these feelings and has these thoughts seeing Pearlstein at CCSU's campus and having this role of power. And like, think about just hearing that story and brushing it off like that. That right. story's impact is insane. Like, yeah, it's unfathomable that you would go forget about years De- a decade without doing anything about this a, a day a week without doing something right. about this it's it boggles the mind so the investigation well the first article really sparked things at ccsu where after that came out it emboldened more and more students to come forward with allegations um against the 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 uh Pearlstein, of course, but also Delventhal. CCSU President Dr. Toro said at the time that there were dozens of students who had filed complaints, and um, the new complaints were submitted after Pearlstein was placed on administrative leave. This is something that was uncovered in the Shipman and Goodwin investigation, a complaint from a former CCSU student that dated dated back to 2013. The former student said that Pearlstein invited her to accompany him to see a show in New York City. The student alleged that without her knowledge, Pearlstein organized for the two to stay overnight in a one-bedroom apartment where Pearlstein engaged in a non-consensual sexual act. And that's as far as that goes with that. Um, We don't know exactly what that sexual act was, but don't really need to. Fucking forgot about that. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, this report is just brutal. It just keeps going on and on and on, which is disgusting conduct. It's just abhorrent. Pearlstein denied engaging in, quote, most of this conduct. Um, But, you know, it was clear to investigators that he was not being truthful and not being fully forthcoming with this information. But let's get into... Rosa Rodriguez, who... Oh, boy. Yes. This person, she is just as culpable as Pearlstein and Delventhal because she was the chief diversity officer at the time all of this was happening. Well, at the time, you know, they were engaging in these acts. Um, and that is the that's the office you go to to report such things, to report sexual misconduct, misconduct in general, any complaints against professors, students, what have you. You're probably okay. wondering, like, this, these reports keep falling on, like, deaf ears. Like, who are these reports going to? Right. This That would be Rosa Rodriguez. 
So the Shipment and Goodwin investigation found that Rosa Rodriguez and her predecessors were, quote, not welcoming or friendly, and in some cases intimidating and lacking follow through with how they um, responded to students coming in and reporting these men. The investigators said that the office failed to interview those who filed formal reports against theater faculty members, adding that the office was not satisfying, quote, the crucial function of receiving, investigating, and addressing complaints. And again, just to touch on the theme that we've been harping upon with our episodes is that a lot of times these universities do not follow through on investigations. And that is exactly what happened in the episode last week. She went and reported it and nothing was done. And that was the 2004 or 2003, 2003, 2004 complaint. And then, you know, decades later, it finally gets investigated, but only after a, a state senator does something about it, contacts the university and, and says, what the hell? So basically the same thing's happening here at CCSU. These reports are falling on deaf ears, as Ryan said. So this, these um, findings by Shipman and Goodwin led to the university president, Dr. Zolmatoro, saying that she will oversee the re-engineering of the Office of the of Diversity and Equity and the Human Resources Department. I also believe Rosa Rodriguez was fired, or maybe she just resigned in shame. I don't remember, but she did, um, Dr. Toro did announce that she would be appointing new leadership for that department. For the audio listeners at home, my eyes are rolling. <laughs> yes. Um, again, some foreshadowing. So some future episodes. Like I said, this is part of a three episode series on CCSU shenanigans. So moving on. Okay, so Pearlstein and Devilsall eventually do get fired, but it was a battle. The teachers union again, again, just to preface this, Ryan and I very pro union. However, love unions. We love them. But we do not love this. I think I'm not entirely sure, but I think uh Pearlstein kind of just was like peace I'm out. Like I don't think he fought it too much. But not much it could fight, you know, in all honesty. Yeah, he was dead to rights. But Delventhal fought his um firing and Believe it or not, <laughs> this is fucking... So this is from an article I actually reported uh, when I was uh, just like kind of freelancing, independent, whatever. I broke this one. So an arbitrator... So at one... How things work when you get fired when you're when you're in a union these uh, and you file a grievance and try to get your job back, essentially, is you go before an arbitrator and that's like some buddy who's like a former judge or lawyer... But it's not a courtroom. Um, but an arbitrator found that there was insufficient evidence to warrant his termination. I'm going to pause for dramatic effect here. Insufficient. Insufficient. All, all, all the things we just read to you about Devathal's uh, conduct was deemed insufficient. 
to warrant his termination. So he got his job back. So in order to make Delventhal just go away quietly, the state paid him $507,625. So a little over half a mil to just fuck off. Congrats. Thanks for being a terrible human being. Yeah. And I'm going to call into question, you know, Janice Palmer's account of the situation. I don't know. Did did that really happen? Did did an arbitrator really review this evidence and say there was inefficient evidence to warrant his termination? I I don't fucking know about that. I mean, just the fact that we have you know reports coming out afterwards just about the theater department in general um <laughs> saying that there's clearly uh, negative i mean to to take a quote from you know to take a quote from the report itself such divide appears to have a negative impact not only on the working relationship but also the learning environment since most of the students interviewed commented on the tension that they perceive between various members of the department uh there's this conflict uh within the theme department that there's just these creepy like i from any sort of level that you view it as this is a story where there's a hundred percent a case right i actually did report on this now that i'm scrolling through my own article <laughs> yeah um so palmer said the settlement came after delventhal grieved his determin uh his termination and the matter went to arbitration. Though the arbitrator found, this is again according to Janice Palmer, though the arbitrator found Delventhal's kissing of the students on the neck to be, quote, sexual in nature, and, quote, extremely inappropriate and well outside the boundaries of faculty-student interaction, the arbitrator ruled that there was not enough evidence to term to terminate Delventhal and ordered that he be reinstated. I mean, if that's... question here. So what the fuck are we talking about? That... That's fucking, oof, that's insane, man. But, you know, just to add on to that, just another instance of a union, I get that their job is to fight for their workers, their members, I get it, but there's got to be a line somewhere. And I think it's reasonable for this to be a line. If we I can't draw a line there, then where can we? This is the type of thing that makes people have a bad opinion of unions. They're doing their own fucking bad PR here. Like, come on. Come on, unions. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the university's response and the outcome of the situation. Changes were made to the sexual misconduct policies at the university. I think Ryan kind of touched on this a little bit. Did you touch on this? A little bit, and I think it is actually kind of a, a really good response from Central. I, I will say that this story you will is a common theme of like Central messing up and hearing things and then just doing the complete wrong thing. But I will say this at least was a step in the right direction, um, you know, in, in terms of what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, it, it, it before this, there was a 90-day window where students had to report 
any sort of incident of uh, sexual misconduct, sexual abuse, any sort of thing like that. And past the 90 days, an investigation couldn't be launched. And uh, beyond that, any sexual misconduct allegation that was more than five years old was destroyed and the record is not kept. And so basically what they did here was reverse both of those. So, um, you know, obviously you could report anything after the 90 day requirement that was before and it would still be a case would be started. And along with that, any sexual misconduct case that's older than five years old, the record will be kept and not be destroyed, which like... Why was this the case in the first place? This was a common sense move by the university that was just a slam dunk. You know, like this was they looked at their policies and were like, this is a simple way to fix this. This simple way for us to, you know, gain some points. Get brownie points. Right, exactly. So just adding on to what Ryan was saying about the records being destroyed after five years, that was CCSU's old policy. We will never know what had been reported was over five years old that the university just destroyed and it's just gone forever and that's something that we can't it like if we can't foi that it's gone it's over and i think this story was an easy i hate to say it's a pat on the back given the circumstances but i think them announcing that was an easy sort of saying yeah we're actually going to fix stuff now Instead of reflecting and being like, oh, shit, we might have actually been really messed up by having this like that for the past, whatever, over 100 years they've been an institution. Right. It was it was easy wins for them when they were facing a huge student outcry. And it's a win where a news media will be like, nice job. Right. Exactly. It gets them the headlines that are actually positive. Mm hmm. In addition to the policy changes, the school appointed a new leader for the Office of the Diversity of Equity, but I don't even think she's there anymore, but they did that at least. That was good, right? They got rid of Rosa Rodriguez. So in addition to the policy changes, the university rebuilt their uh, reporting system and the Office of Diversity and Equity. They appointed new leadership there, and President Toros said that she had been talking with, quote, experts across the nation to seek their best advice as to what the best path forward would be. So this is all well and good. These are, they're obviously welcome changes. They're needed changes. However, was it enough? I don't know. We might find out next week. (laughs) No foreshadowing Uh, there at all. But I just want to... uh, So this is a quote from Toro in the wake of, you know, retooling the whole reporting system and everything. She said, quote, CCSU will not tolerate sexual misconduct or abusive behavior of any kind. All right. So let's talk about the case. Let's just talk about the whole thing overall. I think one of the big takeaways from this case was the important role of student-run newspapers at universities. Of course. Without Ruth Bruno's reporting on this, we probably never would have heard about it. And He would probably still be a professor here. Right. At Central. 
and probably still engaging in the same disgusting behavior. In addition to that, her reporting had a major impact in the school policies. I mean, that's all you can, that's all you can really, that's like your dream, like to It's more than you can ask for out of, out of, for a student reporter. I mean, just as change a journal- school policy and yeah. Just as a journalist yeah, in general. In general. You're totally right. Exactly. Just as a journalist in general, like, because, you know, I've written many things and it goes out there and sure it gets like good response, but it doesn't usually doesn't really change anything. But to have a real impact, that's amazing and really speaks to the importance like student journalists. Yeah, they're students, but they're real journalists and they do the real work. And and I think it's understated, too. I mean, these for Ruth, I, I don't remember how old she was, but I mean, these, these people are like student journalists. They're kids, you know, at the end of the day, they're real journalists, but also they're kids busting their ass to get these stories. And, and these stories are ones that are not reported by the people making a lot of money. And there's a reason for that. We've seen student run newspapers have impacts in recent history, like the Northwestern, the Daily Northwestern, the student newspaper of Northwestern University, breaking the story about the football players uh, hazing, which was a national story. Again, huge story broken by a student paper. So if you're a student journalist out there, don't um, don't sleep on yourself. You can you can make a real impact too if you if you know you're in the right place, right time, get a good tip, bust your ass a little bit. Having that platform helps, obviously, you know, being that major sort of conglomerate, but there's no reason why these smaller stories can't also catch on, as we saw with Ruth. Right. I think, you know, we're seeing right now, just to kind of get sort of off topic, but I think we're seeing right now the death of traditional style journalism. And I think that what's going to take up the mantle is independent reporting and our student journalists are a big part of that because at the end of the day, they are essentially independent reporters. They're not like, like, like you said, associated with a big conglomerate or anything like that. These are just kids out there doing reporting. Next week, we will be covering another case out of CCSU. Yeah, we kind of foreshadowed a lot already. So you might be able to, uh, kind of guess that maybe these uh, changes to policies, all of President Toro's big talk about never letting it happen again or tolerating it again. We'll see if that holds up next week. What do you think, Ryan? I, I'm i very faithful. I mean, I, I think she's going to do a great job. You think There's so? No re- I mean, what was this, 2018? This Surely- was 2018. Yeah, surely there's nothing between 2018 and 2023 that could have happened at Central that, no, no. Well, we will find out. Stay tuned. That concludes this episode of The Scarlet Project. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our DMs are open on our socials. We are at The Scarlet Pod on Twitter and on TikTok. Or you can reach us via email at thescarletpod at gmail.com. All right, everyone, stay safe and look out for each other.